Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories on Tour, continuing our summer journey across the western United States. We've been jumping around a bit in presenting these tour stops, but in a lot of ways, the Denver recording you're about to hear was kind of the first official show. It was the first full Your Story set outside of Chicago, so it kind of forms a template for the rest of the tour, and listening back, I really love how it came together. I think it starts us off really nicely. Uh, it's also the first time we get the mom of a Chicago mainstay and the first Nerdalogs reunion. So this week, you'll get pieces from Steve Vanderplog, Kathy D'Amato, R. Allen Brooks, and Alex Talavera, plus music and a story from myself. Of course, we recorded all these tour episodes a month or more ago, and right now, we're back in Chicago. So we've got a Your Stories recording coming up this Sunday, June 18th, 7pm at the Beat Kitchen, which of course is our new home. Uh, we're spotlighting the wonderful organizers of BitBash, an indie video game expose hosted in Chicago every summer that is the best time. Uh, to that end, the theme of this upcoming show is multiplayer. Uh, we have some story spots open, so if you'd be interested in sharing a piece, send an email with a brief story pitch to yourstories at nerdalogs.com. We would love to hear from you. Of course, you can stay up to date on our shows via our website, www.nerdalogs.com, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com slash nerdalogs. You can also support our shows on Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdalogs, so we make it easy for you to know where we are. Uh, the Patreon helps a ton for us. That's how I was able to do this tour, in fact. Uh, or, if you want to support us for free, rating and reviewing us on iTunes is always super great. Okay, I think that takes care of everything. Let's go back to Denver. So every show has a theme. Uh, the theme tonight is Rocky Road, uh, which relates to both Denver and to this whole like road trip thing I'm doing. So I'm going to play you guys some songs that fit the theme, and then we're going to hear from some uh, some storytellers that are going to reflect on that in some way or another. And it's going to be a really fun night, I promise. Uh, so the songs! So you guys, there's a lot of songs with the word rock in the title, right? And almost all of them 
are like horrible, like they're really bad, ugly, disgusting songs. I've tried to find a few that aren't, even though I'm sure the last one I play you guys will hate, but I love it, so I'm gonna subject you to that. But first, I think the universe can agree this is a pretty solid one.
Yeah, someone out there was zealous and wanted to go a fourth time. That's one too many times for me. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I'm going to play one more song and then we're going to get to the storytellers. Uh, this song is by not quite a comedy band. I feel like that's a little tacky. Like, I'm not going to get up here and play I Love Rocky Road. And believe me, I thought about it quite a bit. Uh, this is by a band called They Might Be Giants. And this song is called... Yeah, uh, no, this is called We Wanna Rock. Going by the theme. Um, I'm pretty sure they're mocking twi uh, qua Twisted Sister here. No confirmation, but I'm, I'm guessing. So this is uh, from the album Flood, their seminal 1990 record. This is called We Want a Rock. This is a weird song. Uh, but I'll talk more about it later. The reason why I'm playing it will become apparent. All right. Where was I? I forgot the point that I was making. I said if I was smart that I would save up for a piece of string and a rock to wind a string around. Everybody wants a rock to wind a piece of string around. Everybody wants a rock to wind a piece of string around. Throw the crypto wide. Let the people crawl inside. Someone in this town is trying to burn the playhouse down. They want to stop the ones who want a rock to wind the string around. But everybody wants a rock to wind a piece of string around. If I were a carpenter, I'd hammer on my pig legs. I collect the seven dollars and I buy a big prosthetic forehead and wear it on my real head. Everybody wants prosthetic foreheads on their real heads. Everybody wants prosthetic foreheads on their real heads. Through the crypto wide, let the people crawl inside. Someone in this town is trying to burn the playhouse down. They want to stop the ones who want a rock to wind a string around. But everybody wants a rock to wind a piece of string around. Everybody wants a rock to wind a piece of string around. They might be giants. I don't know if you guys know what that song is about. I sure as fuck don't. But I'll talk about it later. But first, we have four or five storytellers. I think maybe someone didn't show up, but that's Okay, guys, we're going to have a really good night anyway, starting with a local comedian who was heavily recommended to me by a friend of mine from Chicago uh, by the name of Kristen Clifford. So, Kristen, if you hear this, thank you so much. This is Steve Vanderplug. Give it up for Eric, everybody. Thanks, guys. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about what I think of when I think of Rocky Road. And then I might tell you, like, one really offensive joke at the end of all this. Uh, promise? I don't promise. Oh. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, <laughs> I think, like, touring is kind of a crazy thing in comics tour. Uh, I have a friend who's in a band, and I got to see a little bit of his uh, tour. He was on Warp Tour, and I snuck into Warp Tour... And sneaking into Warp Tour when you're 28 years old is a lot like sneaking out of your parents' house when you're 27 years old. 
So I kind of got to see a little bit of uh, what his life is like. And in order to do so, I had to take some time off from my job. Uh, and I asked one of my coworkers, I was like, hey, man, can you cover my shift? He's like, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm going fishing this weekend. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, what lake? He's like, no, no, no. Fish is playing three nights <laughs> Dick's Sporting Goods Park. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I would rather be told, Steve, I can't cover your shift because fuck you. <laughs> and then be told I can't cover your shift because I'm going to go see fish. So on his way out, I was like, hey, man, have, have fun catfishing. <laughs> he was like, catfishing, what's that? And I was like, oh, that's falsely identifying fish as a good band. <laughs> Let him leave. But I, like, I went through a time in my life where I didn't have a job. I'm thankful for the job I have. Uh, because before my job, I have now, I was driving for Lyft. And the nice thing about driving for Lyft is that you get to pick your own hours. And it turns out that when I get to pick my own hours, I pick zero hours. Uh, so that can make it kind of hard to live. Uh, I got fired from my job at Famous Dave's Barbecue. What? Yeah. Yep, that's the one. Every day I had to answer the phone. I was like, hello, this is Famous Steve. <laughs> Hi, this is Famous Steve. Do you guys understand how heart-wrenching that is for somebody that actually wants to be famous? Oh my god, it was hell. And I had to take my car everywhere. I drove around all the time. Always on the road. I got three flat tires at this catering position in Famous Dave's. And there were times where I got to, like, one time I got to deliver barbecue to these uh, firemen and they were fucking around with me. They're like, hey, man, I can tell you're real high. They're like, Steve, do you even know what you would do if you caught on fire? <laughs> I was like, of course. Uh, I would stop, drop, shut them down, open up shop. <laughs> and they were like, nah, man, you would die. <laughs> and I was like, nah, man, that's just how Rough Riders roll. <laughs> One time I delivered barbecue to these truckers and one of them was upset. He was like, oh, well, well they had just taken a test. He was upset because he didn't do it on the test. He's like, well, question 13 had the word homogeneous on it. And I don't even know what that word means. I only know two homo words and one of them sexual. <laughs> and my first thought was, fuck, I'm not going to get tipped. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the other word you're looking for is phobic, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> the highlight of my barbecue catering career came when I got to deliver barbecue to my old high school. Because that's not embarrassing at all, right? <laughs> like, I never wanted to see those people. My class song was Photographed by Nickelback. I didn't want to go to <laughs> But I had to... And the entire time I was there, I just wanted to find my junior English teacher who told me, Steve, being a comedian's not realistic, it's not practical. Go to college and get a degree. And I just wanted to find her and say thank you. Thank you for convincing me to not follow my dream. Now, I drive a truck that's shaped like an ambulance 
painted like a fire truck. And all it does is keep brisket above room temperature. <laughs> I was <laughs> listening for, a, I was waiting around for, I had a phone interview, phone call, Thursday, 3 o'clock. 12 o'clock comes around, get the phone call. Hello? Answer it. And they're like, hi, is this Steve? And I'm like, it is. And they say, hey, listen, look, we were looking over your application. We'd like to bring you on as a manager right away. It's like, that's great news. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch your name. Who am I speaking with? And he says, this is Chris from the Ignite Ale House in Denver. I said, listen, Chris, uh, I will take the position, but you should know that I never put in an application for the Ignite Ale House <laughs> in Denver. And he says, I'm sorry, is this Steve Johnson? And I say, no, this is Steve Vanderplug. Again, very interested <laughs> in this position. And then he hung up on me. Said, sorry, wrong number, hung up. Like, motherfucker, you called me. <laughs> like, you at least owe me an interview, right? <laughs> Something to fuck around with. Interviews are always the same. They're like, Steve, what makes you different from our other applicants? It's like, I don't know, my fucking fingerprints, probably. <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys an offensive joke. <laughs> I feel like you've earned it. <laughs> you deserve it. And this is... This relates to Rocky Road. You don't know how, but you will. <laughs> We all know that video killed the radio star, but did you know that it was the airwaves that killed John Denver? <laughs> At least I warned some of you. Guys, I'm Steve Vanderplug. Give it up for Eric. Thank you guys so much. See Vanderplug, you know, and, and the follies of youth and all that, but I used to love Famous Dave's, and I'm kind of like in awe that Famous Steve is in front of me right now. They they have a meal you can split with like four or five of your friends. They give you like everything on the menu on top of like a, a garbage can lid. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, guys. I don't know why the symbolism of that didn't strike me younger, that like, hmm, maybe this isn't the best thing to put in my body. But hey, it's still delicious. Coming next to the stage, I'm very excited for this. So... Uh, first in Chicago, this gentleman started doing the show a lot, uh, a game designer by the name of James D'Amato, and he always knocked it out of the park. And then James introduced me to his sister, who lives in L.A., Faith D'Amato. Uh, we bonded over a Girl Meets World podcast she did. It's cool, guys. The Girl Meets World is fine. Whatever. Um, and Faith came into our show, and we were in L.A., and she's great. And now, as it happens, uh, the mother of Faith and James lives in Denver, and she is here to do our show tonight. Please welcome Kathy D'Amato. I am extremely, extremely nervous, but thanks for having me. Go, Kathy. I live in Denver, but my accent is from Boston. I haven't lived there in about 40 years. I can't shake it. My kids, on the other hand, have no accent. I joke and say they're not from anywhere. They have no roots. But they can do accents, and I'm jealous of their ability. It's one of the things that I'm proud about, an ability to do accents. 
My husband and I are both business majors. We studied accounting. We got well-paying jobs in public accounting when we graduated, and we graduated in a time of high unemployment, exploding gas prices, and crazy high inflation. Inflation was so high, our first mortgage was at about 14%. So the two accountants gave birth to two performers. And Cliff and I are shy people. I can barely talk at cocktail parties, never mind what I'm doing here. Cliff was the head of a retirement services company and dreaded those company-wide addresses. How in the world did we create these two kids? When Cliff retired, one thing he did was play in a charity golf tournament. The format was four amateurs playing with a golf pro. One day he played with Mike Weir, a pretty well-known Canadian golfer. Mike had a gallery of about 50 people following his game, and it grew to 100 as the match neared the end. Now, many people who enjoy golf love to play, but don't want to play in front of strangers, even on something like a Saturday pickup game. And here is my husband playing in front of more and more people. Coming down to the final hole, he beat Mike Weir on that hole and played the best round of golf in his life to that point. The next day he was in a similar situation. There were grandstands around some of the greens, and they had some spectators, and Cliff's putting was amazing. That's when it dawned on me. He excelled in the spotlight. The performance gene comes from my husband's gene pool. Now I'm comfortable about my kids' pursuits, as dumb as they are. When James graduated college in 2010, there were few opportunities, especially for liberal arts majors. So we agreed to support his pursuit of improv comedy, which eventually led to his Overshare podcast. He was asked to develop a podcast which turned into One Shot. At that time, my husband was, begin- was at the breaking point. The economy was getting better, jobs were a bit more available, and Cliff felt it was time to grow up. I saw that one shot had a larger audience than Overshare, and it was growing. Role-playing games were something we never knew about. James had taken them up in college, so we weren't exposed to them. But I looked into it a teeny bit, and I came to this conclusion. If the market for RPGs was just a million people, and James somehow got everyone in the market to give him one dollar each, he'd be a millionaire. (laughs) I also said to Cliff that if someone had said to him, you could never make money in retirement services, his final job choice, said we wouldn't be where we are. Just because we don't understand RPGs doesn't make them a small business. Cliff conceded with a grumble for a short time, and then we watched James's business grow, and we were astounded. Faith, that other piece of work, is as crazy for pursuing acting. She was four when we lived in the suburbs of New York City. A family with a five-year-old girl, Anna, moved in behind us. Faith and Anna became fast friends with running between houses and numerous sleepovers. Well, 
Anna's dad was the beast on Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. When you live in New York, your neighbors can actually make a living in the theater. <laughs> well, we went to see a show and we got to go backstage and to see the costumes and the sets. Faith walked out on that empty stage with that singular lamp on it, gazed up into that empty house and thought, this is what I want to do. Oh my God, she was four years old. And she hasn't changed her frickin' mind. <laughs> After James's experience, we just had to say to Faith, why not? I am proud of her piecing together her unconventional life. I have now seen people succeed in unconventional ways. So I have not broken down to say, get a job. <laughs> in addition to their unconventional choices, my kids have given, given me hope for the future. They are the ones who are slowly changing my mind on how to consider things. When I grew up, there was such little diversity. Basically, you were Irish or Italian, and you were most definitely Catholic. I went to parochial school, but my parents wanted us to go to public high school before we went to Catholic college, so we could meet non-Irish Italians and non-Catholics. At college, we studied a trade like business, teaching, or nursing. There was no liberal arts in my family. My kids grew up in a more diverse world. Because they were not indoctrinated in Catholic school, they had a wider education and became very good thinkers. Some of the most capable business people I had met had a liberal arts background. So when my kids were looking at colleges, I felt comfortable with a liberal arts education instead of a trade education like I had. I knew they could go back to school if they needed it, but I wanted them to read, write, and think. As a result, they are adaptable and very open to new ideas and have taught me to be more open too. When I was growing up, there were no gay people at all. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> now, gay marriage is legalized. Where did all these gay people come from? Obviously, out of nowhere. <laughs> it is the millennials that have changed that attitude. I thought I was progressive by working in the business world after graduation. But now I know how patriarchal the system remained. But millennials are changing that. When I grew up, sexual assault was a woman's fault. Now we're saying, huh, maybe the man has something to do with this situation. <laughs> and it is changing. Bill O'Reilly lost his job. We think Mike Pence is weak because he can't talk to a woman other than his wife. This is radical thinking for my baby boomer generation. But for millennials, it's the norm. I know we are living in dangerous, rocky times. War and nuclear war are possibilities. The uneven distribution of wealth is going to cause a social upheaval. Old norms are being torn down, and better norms are slowly developing. And I am hopeful in this tumult because millennials 
are politically active. So during this rocky time, do not despair. Please take action. Donate to the arts. If you listen to a podcast, toss them $2 a month (laughs) so that they can comfortably continue their work. If you listen to five podcasts, it's only $10 a month. Go to arts and crafts festivals. Buy some local arts. Do an art walk. Support Etsy. Go to a community play. Please take action by calling your representatives, both federal and local. Tell them what makes you happy and unhappy. Call them a lot, three to five times a week. You will get so good at this, you will end up taking very little time. Eventually, you may march for a cause. I've gone to some, and it's rewarding just to be a nose counted in the crowd. And vote. Please take action and vote, especially in your local elections. Doing so may change gerrymandering. Please take action by being kind and smiling to people you interact with daily. They will appreciate it, and you will feel good. The millennials are going to save us baby boomers from our own worst selves. And I am just tickled about that progress. Because of their efforts, everyone's road will be a little less rocky. Thanks. Thank you, Kathy DeMano. Give it up for Kathy, everybody. That was so great. Give it up for millennials. That's most of us, I think. Yeah. That was really wonderful. Also, Kathy certainly practices what she preaches. She is one of our biggest supporters on Patreon and on Facebook, and we really appreciate that very much. Thank you, Kathy. All right, so coming up next to the stage, this gentleman is a creator of a wonderful comic whose name I forgot to write down, so if you would please share that with the crowd. But yeah, he's a great comic artist in Denver, a great storyteller. Can't wait to hear from Mr. R. Allen Brooks. I was going to ask you what intro you wanted, and then I missed you coming in. Well done. Hey, I got there. Hello. These lights are bright, so I'm just going to pretend to look at you guys. All right, so I write a comic book called The Burning Metronome. It's like a Twilight Zone meets the usual usual suspects thing. And then uh, I host a podcast with a really subtle name. It's Motherfucker in a Cape. Uh, And on that podcast, I focus on marginalized communities within the geek world. So when I was like... 10. I used to go to comic book conventions and it would be like me and white dudes in their 40s. That'd be it. Like, not even other kids. And there there were no uh, Vulcan, there were no black Vulcan ears. I wanted to be a Vulcan, but there were only white Vulcan ears back then. That's how far we've come as a country. We have black Vulcan ears. Uh, right. Uh, so, as part of the podcast, I uh, last year went to Europe to interview a couple of, uh, couple people. I went to Berlin and I interviewed a guy who owns uh, three comic book stores and he was talking about sort of the importance of diversity. And Berlin's really cool as hell in terms of the comic book thing. I mean, I know, you know, like Europe has monuments or whatever, but I wanted to do geek shit, right? So, uh, like they have a comic book library. So like if you're just a citizen of Berlin, you can go check out the comics from the library. They have a comic book art gallery, like a lot of cool stuff like that. Uh, But one of the main things I wanted to do was I wanted to interview a woman in England who started a comic book convention uh, that has a staff of about 80% women. 
which is sort of unheard of in the comic comic convention game, you know. I mean, it's come a long way, definitely. It's not just white dudes in their 40s, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, I was gone for about three weeks, and this is how it all relates to the Rocky Road thing. I uh, Berlin was the first city I went to, and I lost my phone the first day there, which kind of freaked me out, right? Uh, then I kind of got used to it. So it was like Berlin, then Prague, then Budapest, then London, and then I needed to go interview this woman in Melksham, England, which was about uh, three and a half hours west of London, uh, if you drove. But on the train, it was like six hours, which I didn't enjoy. <laughs> um, so I get to Melksham, you know, they say it, Melksham, and I get off the train, and there's no sign, there's no people, there's no taxis, there's nothing. And I was like, am I in the right place? You know, like, I don't even know. And I didn't, I, of course, I didn't have a phone, right? So I was like, well, I guess I'll just start walking. So I start walking through the, the British countryside, and uh, I see a sign that after a few minutes it says town center, and it's like, you know, center RE, because that's how they do it, right? And so I finally find my way into a town. Nothing says Melksham yet, so I still don't really know if I'm in the right town. But I walk into uh, this hair salon, and apologies to anybody who's actually British for my attempt to do the accent. But uh, there, was a, there was a guy, probably late 60s, early 70s. I walk in, he says, this young man's here to sell us something. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was like, nah, man, I'm here, to, I'm here to ask for something, directions. And he was like, so he heard me talk, and he was like, you know, you're from the States, and you, you came here? And I was like, yes, I came from Melksham Comic Con. And he was like, you came for that? And I was like, yes. So he tells me where it is, uh, and because I didn't have a phone, and I, I neglected to mention that I dropped my computer in Prague, so I couldn't get on the Internet either with that. So uh, so I'm talking to him. I was like, hey, man, uh, do you know a place where I can stay for cheap? He's like, yeah, Irish Tony. So he calls up Irish Tony. <laughs> He says, yeah, I got this American bloke here. He needs a place to stay. He says, do you want breakfast? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So 39 pounds. I was like, all right, let's do it. So then this man uh, takes me in his car to Irish Tony's, introduces me to Irish Tony. He's the only, only Irishman in Melksham, I guess. Uh, Irish Tony's like, oh, you're with him? Uh here, here's the keys. I'll, I'll just get your. I'll just get your cart later. Gives me the keys to, to bed and breakfast. Then uh, the the gentleman uh, who owned the hair salon he drove me back and dropped me off at the the comic book convention, which was really nice, right? Like, and none of that would have happened if I had my phone. It was this kind of cool thing of connecting with this. I felt super Jack Kerouac, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm doing this shit for real, right? So uh, he drops me off at the convention. I walk in and ask for the woman that I've been corresponding with to interview. And uh, I was like, hey, um, you know, the guy from the hair salon, uh, Karki, he, uh, he gave me a ride to Irish Tony's and he dropped me off here. And she kind of leaned in and she was like, you got in the car with him? So apparently he's like the town drunk. Right? <laughs> yeah. Which, which I did not know because I was already adjusting to everything being on the opposite side of the street and all that stuff. Uh, 
So that was super charming, but I, I liked the town a lot. Like, uh, I actually intended to only stay there for a day and then go a few hours uh, west further to uh, Cardiff because I wanted to go to the Doctor Who experience, which was a museum that they had there. Uh, but the trains were so terrible, I just could not bring myself to do it. And the people in Melksham were so nice. I was like, I'll just stay a couple of days here. You know, um, turns out that they're closing the Doctor Who experience. I thought I would just hit it next time. But I guess maybe there's a lesson to be learned there, right? But, okay, so I go to the comic book convention for two days, make lots of friends, all these comic book creators. Some of them even backed me on Kickstarter when I came to the States, which was really cool. Uh, so then the Sunday night, you know, like everything's kind of winding down. I'm hanging out with everybody at the pub. And it gets to be around 10 o'clock. Everybody decides they're going to sleep. So it's a Sunday night in Melksham, England. I decide I'm going to walk back to Irish Tony's. Right? <laughs> uh, I told him that he's, his name sounded like a mafia guy, which uh, uh, really amused him and his wife. Anyway, so I'm walking back to Irish Tony's, and I hear music, like beats playing. And I was like, where is music coming from on a Sunday night in Melksham, England? So I go to this place. It's the Parsons Nose. They're playing dancehall reggae. <laughs> and I was like, oh, here are the three black people who live in Melksham. <laughs> so uh, there was one was DJing. Uh, <laughs> another dude actually had on a, a like a Nuggets jersey. And I was like, oh, you know, I live in Denver. And I tried to talk to him. He spoke English, but he was a super West Indian. And so we could not understand each other. So I just kind of gave up on that. And the third black dude was like, he was in his 60s, and he was leaned up against a pillar. And uh, he was just kind of like doing his little dance thing. And he had like a woman just kind of grind up against him. I was like, I can't interrupt that, right? <laughs> yeah. So I danced for a little while. I enjoyed it. Like, it was full of people. Um, I danced for probably, I don't know, a couple hours. And then I was like, all right. Oh, and uh, this, this group of sort of diva girls came in, you know, like just blowing their hair in the wind and guys try to talk to them and they would just flip their hair away and no, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and I was like, where did these diva girls come from in Melksham? Like, I don't get it. And so, uh, you know, whatever. They were doing their thing. So I walk, home, I walk back to Irish Tony's and, you know, like, it's a small town so everything's really dark. Um, and I, so I'm walking through the dark and I get, like, to the street right before Irish Tony's and I hear some girls giggling off in the distance but I'm not going to emerge from the dark and be like, hey, what's going on? Right? <laughs> so I was just going to keep walking. <laughs> but they uh, they were like, hey, that's that bloke from the Parsons Nose. Right? Yeah. I was like, I'm a bloke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So I walk over and start talking to them. It turns out it's the Diva Girls. Right? So uh, we, we start talking a little bit. And uh, they were like, you know, when they found out I was American, then they were interested more in, in speaking to me. Uh, so they became less Diva. I guess, I guess that's the key is to be to be American. Uh, right. Uh, so when when somebody's underage here, and I'm dancing and I'm out, they're gonna be like twenty, right? The drinking age there is eighteen. So we're talking about the Parsons nose, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm not gonna do the accent anymore. Just just imagine the accent." But they were like, "Yeah, you know, it's cool, you know." But they're a little weird about you being underage, and I was like, "Oh, how old are you guys?" No, like 16, 17? Yeah, so I was like, hey, look, a diversion. <laughs> but they started showing it, because then they were like, so you're from America? Do you know Beyonce? Do you know Kylie Jenner? And I was like, of course I do. 
So no, I was like, no, I don't, I don't know them. You know, do you know Benedict Cumberbatch? Right. <laughs> uh, but it was a really cool time. You know, like I really thought I would be bored in that town, but everybody was really nice. Um, the other cool thing is that since we, you know, live in the future, the way that small towns spread their gossip is through Facebook groups, right? So uh, they have a Melksham Facebook group, and they thanked the guy from the hair salon who got me to the convention. So anytime I met anybody that weekend in the town, they're like, you're that bloke that he helped out, like that kind of thing, right? So even those girls, they're like, you're that guy, <laughs> which is really funny to me. Anyway, that was kind of my whole adventure. That's what I wanted to share with you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, Alan Brooks, when does your, when does your comic hit, man? Like next Wednesday, right? It'll... Uh, you say when does it hit? Yeah, when does it release? Oh, oh the the graphic novel. Yes. Yeah, like two weeks. Two weeks. Two. Yeah. So two Bubble weeks from stores, tomorrow. Or theburningmetronome.com. Yes. <laughs> Please do that. That was wonderful. Part of the reason that I wanted to do this tour was to get stories like that to inspire me on the road. And another reason I wanted to do it was to uh, kind of remember some of my own stories. Because I've been working a lot over... I explained this all in my kickoff episode. But I've been working a lot over the past four years. And I, I wanted to get out on the road and kind of... Remember that I'm a person and not just someone who works like 50 hours a week for well below what I'm worth. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to tell you guys a story and then we have one more person after me. Uh, so the reason I played They Might Be Giants earlier is because they factor heavily into the story I'm about to tell about uh, a prior trip I took. And I actually forgot about it until today. I was driving uh, from Omaha to Denver and I was listening to They Might Be Giants. And I'm like, hey, I met them once and they really sucked. So I'm going to tell you guys that story. So we were, uh, me and my buddies, we were juniors in, in college, maybe sophomores. And we were like, hey, uh, oh, they might be Johnson was doing like a bookstore tour to um, celebrate the release of their, uh, their newest kids album. And the closest they were coming to us, and we were in Champaign, Illinois. So that's like middle of Illinois, about two hours south of Chicago. And the closest they were coming to us was Minneapolis. But for some reason, we were like, hey... We're young and dumb. Let's just go to Minneapolis for the weekend and and go meet They Might Be Giants. And that sounded like a wonderful idea to everybody. So we like blew off classes Friday to drive up to Minneapolis to go see They Might Be Giants perform in a Barnes & Noble kids section. Very exciting, right? <laughs> so this was in uh, February, which if you're familiar with uh, the upper Midwest, February is not always the, the nicest for driving. Uh, so there's a very like kind of... I don't know if it's iconic, that's probably not the right word, but there's a very striking visual when you're crossing over from Wisconsin to Minneapolis on I-90. There's like this giant, like probably eight lanes of expressway, like big ass hill that takes you down from one state into another. And at like about 20 miles before we hit that big hill, it started like blizzarding and it was very, very terrifying. Like I hate driving in snow. Who, who likes it, right? I, I really hate it. You guys are probably used to it out here. And it was like a very scary thing to have to take that like steep incline in a blizzard. And me being from like younger and out of town, like I didn't really know what I was doing. But we got through it, guys. We got through it because the power of They Might Be Giants. So it was just like a little, little hiccup. All right. So we get to the store. They do like, it's like a 25 minute set. All right. They're, and they, they play like, Four songs off the new kids record and Dr. Worm, which is a sweet song. But we all knew what we were getting into. Really, the reason that we went there was my, me and my friends John and Adam. We went there to meet the band because I, I, uh, they were my favorite band at the time. And I really wanted to tell them that and to get an autograph of theirs. And I thought it would be really cool. So 
at the end of the show, this is important, they said, hey guys, we're going to hang out for a couple hours and we will sign anything you have. We'll even sign a deck of cards, is what John uh, Linnell said. I'm sure he just said that. I'm sorry, John Flansburg. I'm sure Flansburg just said that because it was like the first thing that came to his mind. Like, what's a weird thing that no one would ever ask us to sign? Oh, a deck of cards. All right, so I had brought, uh, bought their new CD in store that day, so I was set. And my buddy Adam also did that. So, But my friend John didn't want to spend money on their CD. Whatever. John now has the most money out of all of us. Yeah, so he probably could have afforded that $12 back in the day. But he did have a deck of cards on him because we also were going to play some poker at the Canterbury Card Club uh, later that weekend because you don't have to be 21 to get with the Canterbury Card Club. So John brought out the Ace of Spades from his deck of cards because he's like, they clearly said... We're going to sign anything, even a deck of cards. Well, we probably wait in line for like 45 minutes because we're like at the end of the line. So we finally get up to the table with John and John. They sign my CD. They sign Adam's CD. We're all there together. And then John throws down a deck of cards with the Ace of Spades on top. And Flansburg, John Flansburg just looks at this thing that my friend John has put before them. And he's like, dude, what is this? We're not really going to sign that. And John's like, what, really? He's like, yeah, buy the CD. And it was, like, so disheartening. Like, not only, I mean, sure, they need to make money on CD sales, but he, like, specifically said, hey, like, we will sign a deck of cards. Probably didn't think anyone had one, but we did. And he said no. And, guys, that really sucks. Like, I guess the moral is, like, never meet your heroes. But I don't know. I'm looking at it now from, like, the other side. Because, like, They Might Be Giants isn't, you know, a super famous band. And I, I've... I've been in a situation before where I've been asked to, like, sign things for people. I'm not nearly on their level, but I've been at shows where people, like, want me to sign shit afterwards. And I, looking at it from their side, like, the lesson I take is, like, be careful what you say, you know? Like, don't be a dick to your fans and also, like, be aware of your own limitations and don't overpromise because, like, the fact that he overpromised that kind of broke my heart a little bit and it made me, like, they might be giants a little bit less. Now, I've recovered. Obviously, I played one of their weird-ass songs earlier, but it's still a little heartbreaking, and I'll, I don't know if I'll ever really forget They Might Be Giants for hurting me and my friend John. I think Adam was fine, so, you know, <laughs> one-third of us was fine. But um, John Flansburg, John Linnell, if you're out there, you owe John Lester an apology. And that is all I have to say about that. So, we have one more storyteller tonight and this is very cool he is one of the founding members of the nerdalog sketch comedy group he came out to denver four years ago and we miss him dearly but he is here right now this is mr alex talavera give it up for eric please everybody guys thank you very much all right um back in the day i used to like memorize these things and perform them with like <laughs> gestures and shit anyway i wrote this out uh, <laughs> six months ago, when everyone I knew and everything I read, when the thing they said could never happen, happened, my wife started crying on the couch. She was upset, like we were all upset, but also she was afraid. She was afraid because, and this isn't her fault, she married and had kids with me. <laughs> I'm a Mexican-American. It's not obvious. <laughs> I'm second generation and thoroughly assimilated. I was into ska in high school, if that gives you a baseline. <laughs> but she is extremely white. And the sort of non-specific racial animosity that seemed to be permeating the election 
had never been directly aimed at her. Now, with two mixed-race kids, she was feeling that threat, and she feared for her kids and worried about what kind of challenges they might face growing up. And it made me feel like a real asshole, because I swear to God, I was not worried about them at all. (laughs) First of all, because I'm from Arizona, and unbelievably shitty racism against me and my extended family is so ingrained that, like, Trump is like a six or a seven on the AZ racism scale. (laughs) And also, because my wife, as I mentioned, is extremely white, and our kids, well, they have my hair and my eyes, are pretty much also going to be white. I'm not a punk! I'm going to teach them Spanish. And that Cinco de Mayo was fucking not Mexican Independence Day. And hopefully let them be proud of their heritage. But I'm also not going to pretend like I don't have a lot of thoroughly assimilated white people interests too. Hiking, yes, a walk to nowhere, is actually pretty fun. Skeptical minorities in the audience, give it a shot. I'm also realistic about my chances to, as a parent here, to like 100% deflect the swarming, assimilating culture in which my girls are going to be immersed. To paraphrase Jack Donaghy, the third generation snowboards and takes improv classes. (laughs) And here's some real shit for you. Turns out, I'm not even fully Mexican myself. This was not a surprise. In fact, about five years ago at a Your Story show in Chicago... I told a story under the theme of proposing a theory. The theory was that, contrary to my family history, I am not 100% Mexican, but likely 25% of Asian descent by way of my maternal grandmother and some smoldering hot Filipino dude that she banged, I can only imagine, on a filthy mattress jammed into the bed of a Ford Ranchero. This is where I assume my mother was conceived, even if she wasn't the child of infidelity, by the way. Back in the 50s, basically everyone was fucking in trucks or (laughs) innovative truck-coupe hybrids. (laughs) But evidence in support of the theory, and I won't belabor it since I drunkenly rambled about this for like 20 minutes last time, is not insubstantial. My mom is extremely, some might say suspiciously, Asian-looking. Her family nickname to this day is China, which literally means Chinese. Her baby pictures are fucking hilarious. If you think of them from the context of my grandmother showing them to people and trying to play it cool. Really? No, I think she looks like your tío Rafai. See, right there in the finger? Webbing? Anyway, last night, literally last night... My brother Carlos confirmed the theory. He had come over to pick up a couple things he left for the barbecue, and he and his girlfriend were playing with my two girls, reading them stories and fucking around. When suddenly he looks up like, Hey, did you hear we're part Asian? The fuck? (laughs) When he told me that mom had come out and confirmed it, I was a little sad, but only for my mom. Carlos and I had come up with this theory years ago, and after presenting it, we learned that a similar theory had been proposed by every single fucking person my mom had ever met, ever. (laughs) Really, she was the lone holdout, and I know it was at least in part because she didn't want to accept the truth that might have tarnished her mother's memory. Apparently, my mom finally got more curious and protective and went on a fact-finding mission with her sisters. 
What happened was that Nana was separated from my grandfather and had taken in with a married man who'd promised to marry her just as soon as his wife died. Take a note, fellas. This is what used to be called being a gentleman. <laughs> Mom happened. My grandmother came back into the picture. Grandfather came back into the picture. And eventually they all moved to Arizona where somehow everyone agreed to swallow that Mom took after Nana while the other kids took after their father. All 11 of them. <laughs> My brother concluded. Yep, part Filipino. Hey, your kids too. And Carlos is no biologist. <laughs> but I ran the numbers and shit checks out. <laughs> now, there's some shit that maybe this explains, but mostly it doesn't change much of anything. Uh, my kids were already mixed race. To most people... It's just more history. The people that weren't going to be happy that half of them isn't white, I guess now they have an eighth of a model minority to up the ante. But really, I have a sneaking suspicion that in the coming years, white is either going to get a lot tanner or a lot quieter about this shit. <laughs> My wife, who looks like if copy paper could blush, <laughs> is Scots-Irish, with some German and Italian thrown in there, and at least one Sioux Nations people, like all y'all fucking white people like to claim. <laughs> Hundred years ago, white people would have fucking hated her. My best friend is Dutch-Irish, and his wife is black, and their kids are fucking awesome and speak French. My friend Jamie is half Japanese, half Mexican, and her husband is English, and their kid is going to go to school with my kid. And they might grow up and fuck. <laughs> and their kid will be what? So when my wife was crying, upset and fearful for our children, I understood and let her know that I understood. But I also wanted her to understand that it will be different than what I went through, even at its worst. I hesitate to say better, but certainly different, because they will be different, and the yardstick against which they were measured will be different. And I have to imagine that if in 1953 my grandmother could be so uninterested in racial purity shit that she fucked a married Filipino dude in an artichoke-laden Ford T model, <laughs> there has to be hope for my kids in the year 2017. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. Alex Calamari, everybody. Real pleasure to have you back. Yeah, that, was the, <laughs> that was the last story of the night. That's so fucking crazy. And it tied into one of your oldest stories, too. Uh, so awesome. Thank you all so much for coming out on a weeknight to see this show, guys. It was a real treat for me. So have you seen, uh, have you seen a little movie by the name of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? You will know this song with the word rock in it. Uh, as interpolated by Kiss. One, two, three, four. God get rock and You don't feel right, can't find a cure And you're getting less than what you're looking for You don't have money on a fancy car You're trying to wish you're not a falling star Gonna put your faith in a loud guitar God 
This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.